Vidrio Financial is proud to support Improving Alpha, innovation in investing, ESG and technology with Michael Oliver Weinberg. Vidrio helps allocators harness investment complexity to make better allocation decisions. Learn more at vidrio.com. That's V-I-D-R-I-O.com. Hi, this is Michael Oliver Weinberg. We'd like to welcome everyone to the Improving Alpha Innovation and Investing ESG and Technology Podcast Series. On that note, let's get right into it with our esteemed guest, Jeff Minlin of ASU Enterprises. Jeff, first of all, welcome. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Thank you. Maybe we could start with your background and then segue into what our AS, what Arizona ASU Enterprises is. Sure. So I uh, studied econ and finance actually here at, at Arizona State University and really gravitated towards econometrics and investing. Uh, I was really intrigued by this idea that you could build models to predict stock market behavior and, and pricing and returns. Um, but it was really a nascent topic at the time, especially here. And one day a, a research professor came in to talk to one of my classes uh, and he was doing a lot with academics and building quant models to score stocks uh, and kind of a light bulb went off that this is what I wanted to do. And I'd never really heard the term financial engineering before, um, but um, you know, found my way into working with him. Uh, at the time he was only hiring PhDs, but he was able to hire me cheap and, and kind of figure out exactly what I could do and, and train me to do it exactly where he wanted to. So this was the, the early days of the internet. Um, and we were working at the time then with uh, MSN money. They were looking for content and trying to drive people to their page. So built a, a stock scoring system for them. Um, did a lot of Intel inside for Thompson, where, where they were trying to use properties like IBIS and and the analyst data to build scoring models to sell to clients. So we, we built quant models. And then I had a little bit of luck. Uh, all of the senior financial engineers on the team um, either left or married each other and, and moved away. Um, so I went from being the, the most junior only, you know, non-PhD to, to being the senior member of the team and, and got to start to chart a course for myself and, and was really more interested in the money management side. And, and he had some small hedge fund. So I, I started working on that side. And then he ultimately spun those out uh, and uh, was acquired by a broker dealer that, that was looking for some internal investment capabilities to, to sell to their high net worth clients. And, uh, and through a series of future acquisitions and divestments, uh, found myself uh, as CIO at, at, the, at the second largest independent broker dealer, where we had about 10,000 advisors that we were building strategies for uh, and about five billion of assets. And about five and a half years ago, I, I left that to return to my alma mater uh, to start building out an internal investment team. Uh, at the time, we had about six hundred fifty million in assets and, and had a line of sight uh, to a billion or more. And, and our board really wanted to start to build out those internal capabilities as as the sophistication and and uh, assets in the endowment group. You mentioned that at the time you had six hundred fifty million dollars in assets. Presumably, that's materially higher now. Yes, we're about 1.3 billion in the endowment today. Nice. Um, and 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 what is in, in terms of the endowment? What what is the objective? So yeah, so you know I oversee three pools um, with about one and a half billion total. There's uh, the traditional endowment, which is about 1.1 billion. Um, we have 200 million in a in a separate uh, sustainability geared endowment, uh, and then the the balance in in operating funds um, within. Within the endowment, 
uh, you know, really the the objective is to meet our annual payout that supports the university. Uh, what could you give us a sense as to what that um, you know what 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 that requires? You're 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 paying out to help fund the school's operations. Exactly. So um, so the the payout uh, works out to about five and a half percent. Um, when you think about fees and other expenses, um, so we're trying to um, trying to you know support that payout. We're trying to grow sufficiently to maintain intergenerational wealth. So that looks like a you know five and a half percent real rate of return over time. Um, so call it you know seven to eight uh, percent nominal under normal conditions. But but obviously it's a very different game right now given where where we're seeing inflation. Right. You know, you mentioned the um, the, the sustainability in, in, in component of the endowment. Uh, obviously, it's materially smaller, but that sounds super interesting. And ESG is is certainly one of the subjects at the top of this podcast and and, mm-hmm. and my mind. And frankly, much of the world I've been teaching at uh, Columbia Business School for the, more than the past decade. And ESG has been part of our class. And the interest in ESG is 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 almost a hundred percent now, or as sort of ten years ago, plus or minus when we started teaching it there was minimal to no interest. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that sustainability component of the endowment. Sure. I mean, we've been you're really on a, a journey to think about how do we align the investment strategy of, of the endowment with the mission of the university for, for longer than I've been here. But one of the issues that we had seen a couple of years ago, as we were thinking of different sustainable or ESG strategies, uh, we got into a lot of discussion about whether we should be doing it and not how do we do it. Um, so a couple of years ago, we had the idea of creating a, a separate uh, pool with an explicit mission alignment mandate. Um, and there within that portfolio, again, we, we could kind of take that question off the board and, and really focus on implementation rather than um, whether we should be doing it. Um, and so that's really served as, a, as almost a petri dish for us to think about um, what, are, what are tools and techniques that we are interested in in, in the realm of sustainable investing, um, try them out within, within those assets. Uh, get comfortable with them, use it to educate our, our committee on, on the merits, um, and then think about advancing or, or maturing those approaches to the, to the main endowment pool. The other thing that, that having that, that explicit pool has done for us is, is it's a little bit more manageable. So we've got you know, less line items and less legacy investments. So as we think about um, the reporting and, and different things like that that we want to do, um, it's a little bit more um, easy to, to get our arms around some of these uh, some of these tools and strategies within within that bucket of assets, rather than you know the, the full endowment that's you know got more than hundred line items when all is said and done. And and so what could could you give a drill down a bit? Maybe give us a little more granularity in terms of what are some of the initiatives you're 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 working with in in there? Is it impact investing? Is it you know more color would be helpful? Yeah. So you know this is a, again a, I think going back to our mission, a, a big focus of the university. We were. Recently ranked number one cool school by Sierra Magazine, indicating that that we're the most sustainable university based on um, uh, criteria ranging from academics to research to operations to the to the investment side. So, you know, this has been one of the the areas that we focused on. And and really, we've thought about it from a fiduciary first lens. You know, we're we're not interested in reducing returns. We also you know don't want to bring politics into into the into the purview. and, And despite the, you know, the current national dialogue. Um, you know, our objectives here have been to not politicize the endowment by thinking about, you know, a topic de jour on divestment or, or things like that. But we really thought about it, I think, in, in a couple of different ways. Um, on ESG in particular, thinking about those as, as non-financial metrics that, that are help, helpful in understanding risks. 
So ESG as being more of a, a risk lens. And, and in that case, you know, we're not typically picking stocks directly ourselves. We're, we're hiring managers. Um, so finding managers that have thought about um, how do they integrate that into their security selection process? And then we've made a net zero commitment. So the, the university achieved carbon neutrality on scope one and scope two a couple of years ago and has a 2035 target for, um, for scope three. So we think about the university um, and, and their scope three ambitions you know, we're theoretically part of their financed emissions or, or the investments are. So in order for them to, to achieve that objective, we need to do it with the portfolio. So, so thinking about that, it's a little bit more aggressive than, you know, the 2050 that a lot of others have, but again, aligns with the university. Um, so as a starting point, we were really hesitant to think about divestment. We didn't want to reduce our opportunity set. Um, we didn't want to, um, again, politicize the endowment by, by trying to respond to you know, every issue and, and thinking about stocks to, to not to not hold. Um, and ultimately, we don't find that as, as a really effective method in, in reducing, you know, the carbon dioxide in the environment. Um, it doesn't really change the carbon in the atmosphere. It's just passing it along to a buyer that maybe doesn't care about it as, as much as we do. So we've been really focused more on the engagement side, at least at, at this stage, um, where we haven't explicitly divested from groups. Again, we're, we're thinking about ESG as a risk, but on the engagement side, have, have really thought more about proxy voting around um, shareholder resolutions, um, and then uh, direct engagement with, with companies. And then I think what's interesting, again, we're a, a university. Um, I've got a small team, you know, three full-time people. So we don't necessarily have the resources internally to do a lot of that work. So we've been really thinking about how do we tap into our student body to help us and extend our reach into those, into those areas. One of the, the things that our university president has said before is, is higher ed, makes up less than 5% of the carbon footprint, but we make up 100% of the learning imprint. And so, you know, I think there's, you know, again, this double bottom line benefit, you know, not only are, are we doing the right things by, um, again, you know, our, some of our focus on engagement, um, but by tapping into students, we're, we're empowering and educating that next generation that's probably going to solve these problems um, and giving them a different perspective on, on how they can affect change in, in the portfolio. Yeah, look, I couldn't agree more with you in terms of engagement versus exclusion. I, I recently wrote an article or this past summer, I think, that um, an institutional investor published on that. I, I call it optimal ESG. But yeah, I mean, 100% in terms of what you say, the, the risk is that, you know, not that, that it, it gets far worse, that the companies get pushed into hands of people who are not accountable. There aren't public shareholders. And they run the companies purely for profitability at the expense of the environment, for example, in terms of in exclusion of fossil fuels or, or divestiture. So, um, yeah, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't agree more with that. Um, and and, and um, it's great that, that, that uh, ASU has that sustainability initiative and um, it, it, it's really quite sensible. Um, maybe, you know, it's a good segue into you're discussing a bit more about how you use the students because you you mentioned that um 100% uh the ability to to you know influence or educate 100% of the students and um you know i think you're doing some innovative work there as well i think the uh, the audience would like to hear about yeah so um a couple of different aspects so um Early on, we we had created a, a student managed fund program, and, and again, I think you see a lot of those uh, across academia. What what's unique, I think, about ours is that um, the faculty that that leads it um, has again more of a quantitative background. So it, it tends to be less about stock picking, where you get a bunch of students in the world in the room, and they 
they're kind of arguing about, you know, do they like, you know, Tesla or Facebook or Google more, but again, having to build a model and, and really think about factors and, and things like that. So it, it brings in coding and it brings in, you know, a lot of statistics and math and other things along, along those lines, portfolio construction, they've, they've got a benchmark that they've got to think about. So that's been a, a really neat program. We have, um, we've, we've allocated enough money for three different student groups to, to invest there. They get about a million dollars each. Um, two undergrad and, and one MBA team. Then a couple of years ago, around the time that we were creating our sustainability, we were, again, dealing with, I think, the education element of, of responsible investing or ESG or sustainable or, or whatever term you want to use, and thought that that would be another valuable exercise where we um, created a, another student managed fund for students, where, again, there's, there's really no explicit uh, target other than, you know, build a sustainable portfolio, and they've got to decide what that means. Is that are they going to take a divestment approach? Are they going to take an impact approach? Are they going to take an ESG approach? Um, are they going to you know, buy stocks that, that are bad so they can engage with them um, and, and really leave it up to each crop of students to, to understand the full spectrum of, of responsible investing and then, and then pick a strategy uh, around it? And then we have a, a real estate one where, where students are, are trading publicly traded uh, real estate stocks, REITs, um, and, and doing more of a fundamental analysis on it. Um, and then this year we launched a um, venture capital uh, strategy where where students are are learning about that field um, and then helping make a um, typically one to two uh, ed tech venture capital investments at the end of the of the year. Um, so that's been a, the core part of the program. And, and then what's really grown in the last couple of years is, is, is students on the engagement side. So we had a, we uh, we helped um, some students create a, a group called SciFi. The, Student Impact Finance Initiative, um, and that's become our, our engagement club essentially. So they um, they uh, they helped us work on our proxy voting policy, um, and uh, and and write that out and put pen to paper on on crafting a policy. Now um, now going forward, they're helping us with the voting of our proxies. So you know they'll review the manager recommendations, they'll review um, our research providers recommendation, and then evaluate each proxy. Um, in the context of that um, proxy voting guidelines and, and make a recommendation to us uh, on how we should vote. So they're able to get to do a lot of the heavy lifting um, in, in that realm, but, but we retain control and, and oversight. They're also the group that's done some of our corporate engagements. So they've, they've had a, an ongoing engagement with Chevron, um, where again, it, it, they've been really measured and thinking about it. It's, it's not a whole bunch of crazy students getting on there and telling Chevron that they're bad. Um, they, they've been talking to them in a, in a really diligent way about, about things like lobbying and, and how some of Chevron's stated objectives and goals um, might differ from the money that they're giving to lobbying efforts or, or some of the industry trade groups that they spend money with and, and what, they're, what, what those groups are doing and trying to reconcile those differences. They've talked with BlackRock about some of the diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, efforts that they're doing. Um, so it's been really interesting on, on that side. Um, and then this year, we're hoping to co-file a shareholder resolution where we can maybe work with um, a similar student group at another university and, and co-file um, a, a shareholder resolution with them on a, on a company that we've, we've seated our, our stake in. So it's, it's been really neat. You know, we've had students and, and people from the team move on to series and, and other engagement work, uh, working groups and, and things like that as, as they've uh, matriculated and um, again, really learned, I think, a lot about, you know, the, the impact that we can have and, and again, why maybe having some ownership, you know, retains that voice that can actually affect change. So your innovation in terms of ESG is, is, is clearly 
fantastic. I mean, uh, I'm I'm on the board of the Michael Price Student Investment Fund at NYU, and we we, we do we, sort of a complement to what you do because you're you're we're, we're more of the sort of old school uh, discretionary um, equity long equity investing. Uh, which is sort of it seems like you're doing everything but that. Um, but you know you've certainly inspired me with some great ideas that we we could expand into. Shifting gears to um, in, innovation in technology uh, and and improving alpha from technology, you know maybe you could touch on that and let us know how you're you're using technology to to um, improve returns effectively. Yeah, I mean I think um, going back to the university, we we've. Uh received the, the number one in innovation uh, designation by US News and World Report for eight years running now. So again, we think about tech, think about innovation. Again, these are th- these are things at the core of, of who we are. So I've been spending a lot more of my time as of late, really thinking about how do we better capitalize on our venture ecosystem as the most innovative university. Um, we're also top 10 in the, in the country for uh, patents uh, of schools that don't have a medical school. Um, we've got the largest engineering school in in the country. We have the first school of sustainability that that now houses the grandfather of carbon capture technology. Um, we had one of the earliest and and one of the premier online education platforms. So you know we've become really vested in a lot of these these areas, whether it be education technology, uh, clean tech. Um, space tech, uh, dual use tech with military things. We have a partnership with Mayo, so on the on the med tech side. Um, so really thinking about how do we tap into a lot of those innovations and companies, uh, venture capital firms that want to that want to play in those fields and have that drive part of our private equity allocation in, in a way again that that I think is forward thinking about where the puck is going from a futurist perspective, but then also, you know, helps advance the the university as well. And and we've got unique insights, unique insights into a lot of these realms. Um, One of the things that that we saw in in fiscal year 22, um, we had a a positive return for the year. We were up about two and a half percent, which, you know, that in that year was, we were really happy about. Um, But part of that lift came from, you know, an ed tech investment um, that came from a special partnership with the university that 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 had a a, a really big markup. So we're we're starting to see the the monetization of of some of these things where you know the the university has benefited or the community has benefited or or again kind of the broader entrepreneurial spirit is is there. Um, but we're able to identify the ones that 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 also are good investment opportunities for us to take advantage of. So that's that's been a, a big area, especially in those key verticals that I mentioned. That's fantastic. Again, another great way you are integrating the uh, university and the um, the ecosystem you have with uh, the innovation and um, ESG and um, and 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 investing and and generating returns for your um, to, to fund the school. So it's a sounds like a great circular uh, system. Um, you, you talked about looking at where the puck is going. So looking at where the puck is going, where do you see the best uh, investment opportunity now from, for, or, or, or a few interesting opportunities if you prefer? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a, a, a much different environment today than it, than it was a year ago. You know, my personal view is, you know, we're obviously really oversold on, on the stock market, um, probably getting closer to the bottom than not, uh, maybe not the bottom, but but a bottom. So, you know, in, in that world, you know, there's probably returns to be had in, in lots of places. You know, where we've been focused, again, kind of building off of that, that previous idea is, is venture right now. We historically have been underweight private equity relative to our strategic asset allocation. So really over the last five years, we've tried to grow that bucket from, you know, what was maybe 7% when I came in 
uh, versus our target of, of 21% to get closer to our, our target. And, and at the same time, you know, almost had the opposite of, of the denominator effect, right? Our, our denominator's grown. So, you know, that that delta kept getting bigger and bigger as the goalpost got farther farther away. So, you know, we've, we've done that largely by thinking about a, a strategy that combined secondaries, primary funds, and then direct co-investments where we were trying to avoid as much of the J-curve as possible. We got, you know, a big chunk of the portfolio uh, ramped up into into PE. As a result of that, you know, we probably ended up being a little bit more focused on growth equity and buyout than the VC side. So as we stand today, you know, a little bit underweight venture, especially relative to, you know, a lot of our peers. So, you know, that's been in the back of our mind. And, and obviously with, 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 with what's happened in the market, we think that the next few vintages are probably going to look really good. So getting more money to work in an explicit way in venture at, at this point makes a lot of sense for us. Um, focus more on the on the earlier stage where you know the the, the prior um, maybe unrealistic valuations and and concerns about down rounds maybe aren't as much of an issue and capital is is slowing especially in in in, in some places competitive landscape for talent is is lightening up a little bit um, but but still aren't seeing a slowdown in, in innovation so again we're we're thinking that now is a good time to be putting more money to work in venture, given that that we historically have been underweight there. You know, I think there's a lot of opportunities just generally with just the structuring of deals, you know, where deals right now where you're seeing, you know, preferreds or converts or um, uh, or some kind of debt structure, um, having, you know, similar returns as, as you normally get from from, you know, the equity side. Um, you know, that's really interesting right right now as well. But um, but again, spending a lot of time on, on venture right now in, in the portfolio, given the, the current opportunity set. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree more. I I mean, uh, yeah, you're you're now. I mean, with with public market valuations down fifty to seventy percent, and, and and private market market valuations down materially, if if not similarly, uh, it I, I I agree. It's a great time to be um to 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 have dry powder in, in venture and 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 secondaries um. Secondary private equity is 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 also quite interesting. I think you, I think we discussed in an article I wrote that I I published on the denominator effect, and you 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 happen to be uh, in the lucky minority, uh, you know that 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 is not massively overweight as much of, if not most of the institutional world is, uh, and and can take advantage of that and be a, a buyer where they they need to be sellers. Exactly, and and we're in a, a fortunate spot as well where, you know you know, given that we're not a kind of a closed foundation, right? We're, we're still open, we're taking new money. Um, and, and we've been on uh, just coming out of a big campaign. So we're seeing new contributions coming in at, uh, as being really strong. And so we have, you know, more money coming in than, than typically our payout is. Um, and so as a result, you know, we've got a little bit more flexibility with liquidity as well, um, where we can overshoot our, our targets on the illiquid side and, and have some some comfort that um, that we're not going to get into any liquidity challenges that 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 otherwise might arise, and so can take advantage of some of the 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 markdowns on the on the private side currently. Right, absolutely. Uh, so at this point, let's let's shift to a, a slightly different format. A uh, what you know what we refer to as the lightning round. So I'll ask a sequence of questions, and and um, you know we'll look forward to the uh, the answers. What's the biggest challenge to achieving your goals? I think inflation right now. I mean, as I mentioned, our payout is is based on growing in a in a real way, and you know, and inflation in a seven eight percent world is very different than two percent, and 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 obviously the the tack on impact on other asset classes. So that that's something we're spending a lot of time worried about and, and thinking about right now on how transitory it is or isn't. Next question: What's a red flag with a manager such that you would not invest? 
and clearly anything on the you know ethics regulatory side but you know as a as a rule of thumb we've got a no jerk policy you know we there's lots of smart people out there this is a relationship business and and you got to enjoy the people you're working with so um you know we, we want we want those relationships with managers that'll last here's a bit of an awkward one but what's what's a material mistake you made investing and what's the lesson learned I mean, it's a humbling business, as, as I think everybody knows. And, um, you know, those of us that are more seasoned and have lived through cycles, part of the value is pattern recognition. History doesn't always repeat itself at rhyme. So, you know, in the GFC, real quick, we had had some um, Paris trading looking for dispersion and and we're very wrong on kind of the underperformance of financials relative to other places. It was more of an early warning sign than an opportunity and and really got burned on, on being early on, on the financials. What's your favorite book or one you've read recently? So right now, um, and this might be interesting to you on, on the Columbia side, but um, you know, reading uh, reading this new book, uh, Investing in the Era of Climate Change by Bruce Usher, who's a faculty there at, at Columbia. But again, thinking about the opportunities that come from climate change, you know, transportation, ag, manufacturing, transport, um, the net aspect of it, you know, he talks a little bit about with carbon capture, which I which I mentioned before, is something that we're really interested in as well. What advice do you have for other allocators uh, and investors? I think, especially in 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 my world, this is a super collaborative space, right? So versus the the private sector. So I think the collaboration, of picking up the phone and talking to peers, it it works, especially in some of these uncharted waters like the ESG sustainability net zero side. None of us have all the answers right now, um, and and I think sometimes there's a fear of of having it all figured out before moving forward, and and. Um, and, and again, talking to each other, I think sometimes it helps alleviate that and, and help with the strategy that, that that's worked for others. And, and my favorite question for, for managers, what didn't we discuss that, that we should have, um, or what didn't I ask you, uh, or what are you discussing with other investors? That's super interesting. I think China is, you know, is, is going to be the issue that doesn't go away for, for a long time. You know, historically, a lot of us had started thinking about it as, as an investment opportunity where, you know, it's underrepresented um, in market cap relative to economic impact. Um, obviously, the growth everybody's aware of, the bipolarization between U.S. and China leads to diversification issues, you know, even in light of the governance and, and social issues. But certainly after the Russian invasion of Ukraine and, and the restrictions on uh, security trading in Russia, I think I think all of us are just a lot more acutely aware of, of the growing risks of a, a Chinese invasion of Taiwan and, and the idiosyncratic risks that, that come from there. And like I said, I think every committee meeting, you know, for the last um, six or nine months, that's been a topic. Every manager meeting, every investor conference, like the China's China's a big deal right now. Absolutely, uh, and maybe in a later podcast we'll have time to delve more deeply into that. But look, um, I'd like to uh, thank Jeff for uh, his sharing his most valuable asset with us his time, and um, you know, I, I hope that was uh, informative in terms of of how. Uh, for, for our, our listeners, how, uh, how, how Jeff and ASU is, is improving alpha and, and innovating and investing ESG in technology. Thank you for listening to Improving Alpha, innovation in investing, ESG and technology, sponsored by Vidrio Financial. With Vidrio Financial, asset managers, endowments and foundations, pensions, family offices, insurance plans and sovereign wealth funds, can cut through the complexity of asset allocation to reduce costs, mitigate portfolio risk, optimize compliance controls, and improve performance analytics. Interested to learn more? Contact us today at vidrio.com.
That's vidrio.com. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Vidrio Financial and or our host, Michael Oliver Weinberg. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding investment planning.